the beauty of a startup is your job can go from here to here if you just have a little bit of aptitude and a great attitude and say, I'll help out with that. Who needs help? I got exposure to so many things. If I had just been behind a Zoom camera, I would have worked with four people on a daily basis and my world would have been incredibly transactional. I never would have had the exposure, the experience. People wouldn't have bet on me because they didn't know me. I think if you actually want to have a job, sure, work permanently remotely. If you want to build a career and have exposure and have work be a truly meaningful part of your life, you can't get away from some amount of in-person connection. That was Rapid7 Chief People Officer, Christina Luconi. In this episode, Christina and I sit down and talk about her career building high-growth startups and tech companies in the Boston ecosystem, her role navigating the hyper-growth that Rapid7 has been through over the past 12 years, thoughts on building rapport and relationships with your CEO, and the role of a CPO in navigating some of the external events and turmoil that we have all seen over the last several years. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. It's time to let go of past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency designed from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional search models with our flat fee structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Accelerator is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's people leaders through cohorts, community, and resources to support their growth. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, onto the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Christina Luconi. Christina is the Chief People Officer at Rapid7, and we're going to talk about her career, her work, and we're going to get a lot into this conversation. So Christina, let's jump right in. Um, I'd love to have you start with an introduction for the viewers. Hi, I'm Christina. It's good to be with you here, <laughs> Lars. What, what do you want me to include? Uh, you know, hobbies, favorite colors, uh, you know, favorite travel destination, whatever, whatever's on your mind. Sure. I'm, uh, I think of myself as a startup junkie. I've done six of them, even though I'm no longer at a startup. Uh, but that's a different, we can go down that rat hole at some point. Uh, my favorite color is red. And um, I just went to the Motley Crue concert last weekend. And uh, we'll probably not do that again. How about that? <laughs> All right. If we have time, we have to come back to that concert because that sounds like an experience. Uh, I, I just it actually watched, uh, not related to Motley Crue specifically, but the uh, Netflix has a special on Woodstock '99 um, right now. That's a, it's a three-part special. I highly recommend. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's on my uh, list. It looks terrific. Yeah. So let's you know you've you've spent the majority of your career in HR, and I want to kind of dig into a couple different aspects of that. But just as a starting point, what originally drew you to the field? I was a psychology major. I thought I was going to be some form of therapist. And um, this is probably a horrible thing to admit about oneself. But I realized like halfway through my degree that I probably didn't want to listen to people talk about their problems all day, every day as a, as a career choice. Um, and my dad was a serial entrepreneur and said, there's this thing called human resources. And it's sort of the intersection of psychology and business. 
And maybe that's something that you might be interested in. I think what he was really directionally saying was like, kid, you need a job out of college. Um, but what I ended up doing was um, grew up in Boston, came home for the summer, Kendall Square, which is, you know, sort of Boston's version of Silicon Valley, um, was just starting to come up and up and happening, right, with high tech. Uh, it had historically just been for MIT. And all these little startups were starting when I was in school. And I joined a, a high tech startup that went public about three weeks into my internship. And I thought, you know, because I was a naive idiot, 20 year old thinking, oh, my gosh, this is the way to go. Right. If you get a bunch of smart people working on a problem together, you know, amazing things can happen. And I thought, OK, I want to align around startups. I want to align around HR. I am old enough that when I was getting out of school, um, HR was new. It was had just transferred from, you know, personnel. So people thought HR was this like really newfangled sort of concept. And I was this really annoying kid when I graduated, um, went into a hyper growth company. And I was surrounded by people that gave me a lot of space to ask what probably most companies would think were really annoying questions, including why the hell do we call it human resources? Like the printer is a resource. If we're trying to scale this thing really quickly, like it would strike me that we need to have people rowing the boat in the same direction, whatever. What I was really tapping into was culture, even though culture wasn't really a thing talked about then. Um, so that's what drew me to it. And they were, instead of saying, shut up, go file, which they probably should have, they said, why don't you go think about that? Why don't you go explore that? So I was given this unbelievable latitude to test out of a lot of ideas in a very quickly growing company right out of college. I was just in a, the right place at the right time with some amazing people who fostered that in me. And then I just, there was no other way for me to go. It was just, I was, I was really fortunate. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny how those those early moments in your career can set you up on on a very kind of unique path based on the environment you're working in. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, you're a self-professed startup junkie, you know, you're you're a builder, you've seen a lot of uh, you know, the, the way that, you know, teams have evolved, uh, growth has evolved, certainly the field of HR has evolved. You know, when you, when you think back to, you mentioned kind of, you came in right as, you know, the function was evolving from personnel, it, right as kind of culture was becoming something that we, uh, didn't just kind of talk about, but were kind of thought about consciously crafting and developing to now. And you've seen a lot of change over that time. Like when you think about like, the current state of whatever we want to call it, HR, talent and culture, people operations, not human capital. Let's not call it that. <laughs> uh, but any of the other things that we're going to call it, like wh what do you, wh how do you kind of assess the current landscape of the field? Evolving. I think it's getting better. You know, I mean, it makes me feel good that like people like you exist in the world because I think there's a lot of people that talk a good game. I think we're still in a, in a situation where there's a lot of people that like to hold up the shingle and say, I'm in, people strategy or I'm in whatever you want to call it. And it's still quite operationally focused or they'll still say like, I want a seat at the table. I hate that phrase, right? Because I don't think anyone just like gives you a seat at the table. I think you earn that seat. And I think for people in our field, we're in such a prime, amazing opportunity space right now where you could, I could argue, you could be one of the most pivotal people in your company if you're strategic in nature and can really focus on what's going to advance the organization. 
And I think we're on that cusp where people still, some people are doing that, which is phenomenal. I think other people are still stuck in the what's going to not get us, you know, sued or so compliance driven. And there's need for both, right? I mean, there's a, a healthy balance, but I think it could be such an exceptional, um, fulfilling role, both for us, but also for the company, if it continues to evolve in terms of strategic in nature rather than just the tactical stuff. So I think we're yeah. headed in the right direction, but not quite there yet. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you kind of frame it that way. Like I've always viewed the field and certainly today as as a spectrum, uh, right? And I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, legacy, you know, stigma, punchline, whatever around like that personnel function of HR. And that function still exists in some companies, but there's some amazing work being done on the other side of that spectrum. And that's all happening simultaneously. And the majority of the field is somewhere in the middle, you know, we're kind of working to move more towards that progressive side. Um, you know, you, you spent your career in startups in Boston for, for viewers and listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the kind of tech ecosystem in Boston. How would you explain it? thriving, right? I mean, I think it's, it, it, I grew up at a time where like everyone started heading to the Bay Area. If you were interested in tech, that's where you would head out west. And I sort of fixated on this is a pretty amazing community and, and you could see things starting to happen, right? And our Kendall Square went from like some tech folks coming out of MIT to like really people investing in this community and building out. And I think it's a different vibe. I mean, like I got plenty of colleagues and, and friends in on the West Coast, but there's something that feels more organic to me about it here. It's not, it's not as there's certainly very competitive people, but it's it's you're not just one little drip in the bucket. You can make a pretty significant contribution here, I think. Um, and it's a pretty tight community. I think everyone's really in it to help each other out. Nobody like hangs on to po folks or you can't talk to my people or whatever. I think people have been really amazing in terms of sharing information, sharing knowledge. Even if I just look at the pandemic, the amount of community support for companies just saying, I have no idea what to do right now. What are you doing? And, and you know, there was a, a group of maybe 50 people leaders in the Boston community who jumped onto um uh, an email chain at the very beginning of the pandemic, and it's still going to this day. And it's, you know, you can opt in or opt out. Some people are on it daily. Some people aren't. I'm not particularly involved in it that much anymore. But it was pretty amazing to see people coming and sharing information and ideas in the spirit of just like, let's all get through this together. And I think that's pretty indicative of the Boston startup community. Yeah, I mean, it's so, um, you know, the example you referenced in terms of kind of the the beginning of the pandemic, and I mean, none of us have been through anything like that. And so our ability to lean on each other, to lean on our networks, to share and kind of collaborate, I think, uh, you know, we, we've been moving uh, as an industry from, you know, kind of black box proprietary silos towards more open source practices even before the pandemic. But that was just such a springboard, I think, uh, especially at your level, right, for for CPOs and CHROs to really kind of come together and uh, and share and kind of help each other through uh, just a, you know, humanity shaping event. Uh, and everything has come from it that since, right? It's like that was like the big thing where it's like nobody's ever dealt with this. And then we've had a you know, series of other things since that were also pretty significant events um, to, to help our organizations and leaders and employees navigate through. Yep, I agree. I mean, one of the things that's been really interesting to watch for me 
is um, I loved seeing that community aspect of the pandemic where people like, you're right, none of us had been through any of this before. What do you do? And to be able to rely on people to just checkpoint solutions or things was great. But it's been also really interesting to see who does what with that. I've seen a lot of like, oh, well, so-and-so did this, therefore I'll do exactly the same thing. And I think that separates amazing people from the general population for those who like take all the information, but then do what's authentic to their company as opposed to just so-and-so did it. I mean, you might have the most brilliant idea and it might work in your organization. It wouldn't work here. I could take the best of it and then edit it to make it work in this environment. But I think people have been so stressed out and so whatever that it's like you take the low hanging fruit and just try to employ it in your company. And I think that can be really dangerous. I think you got to know when to like take the information and then when to make it your own and, and, and be really authentic. And that's sort of raising the bar. That's a hard thing for, I think, lots of folks to, to keep pace with over time. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've always felt the term best practices was, was bullshit, you know, for that reason, because I think what makes something a best practice in one organization has so many unique variables within that organization that makes that practice successful. The idea that you can just take that, plug it into any other organization and have the same results is, is naive and frankly dangerous because it probably is going to go wrong. And so, like you said, it's like when you can, when you can, you know, especially in a world of, of open source and practices where, you know, you can say, okay, like, I like what, you know, Katie Burke is doing at HubSpot. I like what Christina is doing at Rapid7, but a little bit differently. Uh, you know, I like, and you can pick different organizations and then you can say, but in our culture, in our organization, with our leadership team, with our employees, with our locations, you know, so all those variables, none of those things will be able to replicate exactly, but I can take this piece from this. I think that's exactly right. And you just said two things that totally resonated. Like one is Katie Burke is phenomenal. I, I have massive respect for her, but what she's doing at HubSpot some of it's great. Like I'll, I'll steal it. But some of it would be totally not appropriate in this organization. And knowing, knowing those nuances, I think, are really important. Um, let's talk about your role at Rapid7 um, for a moment. Because as you mentioned, you've, you've been a serial builder. You know, it's interesting. The, the market, and the market obviously is, is evolving now as we're in, you know, the, some level of a down market to what extent. We don't really know. The job numbers aren't really backing up a lot of the fears we've been told of what might be coming, but we'll see how it plays out. But what is shifting is the, you know, the role of the, the CPO, um, the CHRO, whatever the title might be, you know, over the last 18 months has really, it's, you know, A, it's been through a lot, of course, you've been through a lot, but it's seen the value of that position, especially for exceptional talent in that position, has been realized at a, in, a, in a way and at a scale that we haven't really seen before. And the demand for people leaders has been astronomical. And so, you know, in that environment, tenures have been shrinking. Uh, there's also an aspect of, you know, burnout. People are moving out of the field, uh, getting into coaching, consulting, uh, other disciplines are just taking time off. Um, you know, but you are, you know, kind of unique in that backdrop in the sense that you've been with the organization for 12 years. And so I'd love to just get your perspective. Like, I'm sure you've had lots of, of opportunities during those 12 years. What, what's kept you there? Corey Thomas. Our CEO. I mean, so when I came in here, I had I, every time in between jobs, I'll go back to consulting and sort of do my thing. I love working with startups. And I had come out of a cybersecurity company, Rapid7 cybersecurity company. I'd come out of another one. 
um, when we got bought by Symantec, I, I reignited my consulting practice and, and Rapid7 became a, a client. And I thought I, at the time we were 75 people, we were talking about selling the company and I'm like, why would I ever join a company that I know we're going to sell? I mean, that makes no sense to me. Um, and long story short, Corey, who's our CEO, um, was elevated into that role as I was consulting. And we kind of made a deal. He had been looking around a little bit and, and knew he wanted to do the CEO thing. Um, our board promoted him into that role. And we sort of did the, I'm in if you're in. And um, that was when we were about 75 people. And I said, you know, I'm going to stick around until we hit an event. So whether we get IPO or go public or whatever, like I'm in for that first part of the journey. I'll help us get there. And true to my word, like I think the day we filed to go public, I gave him notice. And um, not for anything that had anything negative to do with Rapid7. It was just like in my mind, I did what I said I was going to do. Now it's time to go do something different. And Corey said exactly what you say to somebody like me, which is like, great job getting us to this place, but get us to a couple thousand people, still have it be an amazing place to work, and then you can take your toys and go home. And I'm like, oh, damn, he's right. And and I did. And, you know, candidly, right before the pandemic, I was thinking about, all right, now it's been 10 years, maybe it's time to go do something. At this point, I've been here three times longer than I've ever been anywhere in my career. And... Um, and I'm really, really glad that I stuck around through the pandemic. None of us thought it was going to last two years. Um, but in my mind, I thought the worst thing I could do right now is to be selfish and do what works best for me when we've got a company of, I think we were probably, you know, 1,900 people at the start of the pandemic. And and they're going to need some kind of stable force. And I'm, I'm trying to say that with humility. I'm not like I'm the be all end all, but like I knew that I would be up for the challenge of keeping people motivated and connected when we were going through this craziness. It, it turned out 2020, hands down, best year of my career, meaning it, it forced me to think differently about how I did my job. I am old school enough to believe like FaceTime um, or human connection is valuable. Um, I mean, this is great. And I know people can be really productive online, but I believe in relationship. And I think it's much easier if you share a meal with someone to get really get to know them, to build trust and build relationship. And our company had been built on that. Um, and again, I don't think that, I think there's plenty of amazing things that have come out of the pandemic. I don't think that anyone will ever go nine to five back to work five days a week ever in an office which is nice. I like that people can live a, a, a more flexible lifestyle. But I do think that like the, the wave towards work from anywhere all day, every day is makes me really nervous for the future of work, um, especially for younger people. Um, and that we can go down that path if you want to. But I, I loved that I was in the middle of trying to figure out how to keep people motivated and focused during arguably one of the most interesting times of our lives. Traditional HR and learning systems are largely rooted in legacy mindsets and practices. They're not equipped to keep pace with the dynamic times we've experienced since the events of 2020 and beyond. That's why I launched the Amplify Accelerator. The Amplify Accelerator is a platform for connecting, developing, and supporting the next generation of people leaders. 
Designed to support continuous learning and build capabilities and connections, the Accelerator helps modern people leaders build the necessary skills to successfully navigate this new world of work. The flagship of the Amplify Accelerator is the Cohort Program. These peer-based learning courses are designed to help you become a more confident people leader, armed with a new global peer community and a toolkit full of actionable advice, resources, templates, and more. Cohort students engage in a mix of synchronous and asynchronous learning designed to fit into the schedules of today's people leaders. You'll also learn from world-class guest instructors including Katie Burke, Caitlin Holloway, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, AJ Thomas, Tiffany Stevenson, and so many more. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com slash cohorts. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I do, as you mentioned that, you know, we're, we're recording this, um, you know, a couple of days after Malcolm Gladwell uh, wrote an op-ed about, you know, the, the damage of remote work and how people need to be in offices. And that's coming on the heels of memos from, you know, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook and um, Sundar at Google talking about, you know, productivity and, uh, you know, really, you know, almost making a connection that remote work uh, isn't as productive and that you might need to be in an office to be more productive, which, you know, I, I think a lot of the stats we've seen over the last two years has maybe, you know, debunked that from a productivity standpoint, from a culture perspective and an innovation standpoint. Sure. I think there's actually evidence that says that that, that is based on in-person connections. But I'm curious, like, as you as you see some of these conversations happening, uh, you know, in in the environment right now, does that does that shape or influence at all? I mean, it seems like you've got a pretty firm personal view towards kind of the the role of flexibility and remote work. But as you see that swirl around you, does that, does that you know, change or shape any of your thinking? I listen to everybody um, because I like to just, I, I'm one of those people, like I definitely have a point of view, but I like to hear what everybody else is thinking. And then I'll, I'll, I'll edit my point of view based on like some really intelligent points, points of view. Like you can definitely change my opinion, but I think I'll go back to what I just said, where I think like hybrids are an amazing thing, right? I think it's really nice that people have the ability to like, we have life things, right? Your kid's sick to not stress that you have to go to an office one day because you have to manage that situation. It's nice for people to have that kind of flexibility. But if I think about younger folks or people that manage people to never be in person with people, I think it's really hard to build deep, meaningful connections. That's just life, right? It's like, this is going to be a really bad analogy. I apologize, but it's not dissimilar to dating, right? You could meet someone online that you think is amazing, but if you actually never meet them, it's kind of a bullshit online relationship, right? It's not truly, do you know if you can work through things together or, or it's real. It's, it's, almost fake and transactional. It can feel good. It could be productive. Maybe you have somebody, but it's not a true, I would argue it's not a true relationship. And people go on like that for a really long time. And I think if you're young, if I look at my own career, if I hadn't been that annoying 22-year-old who was like, you know, hey, the beauty of a startup is your job can go from here to here if you just have a little bit of aptitude and a great attitude and say, I'll help out with that. Who needs help? I got exposure to so many things. If I had just been behind a Zoom camera, 
I would have worked with four people on a daily basis and my world would have been incredibly transactional. I never would have had the exposure, the experience. People wouldn't have bet on me because they didn't know me. I think if you actually want to have a job, sure, work permanently remotely. If you want to build a career and have exposure and have work be a truly meaningful part of your life, you can't get away from some amount of in-person connection. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting too, I think is where, you know, we're kind of in this environment and the changes that we've experienced over the last two years in HR have also changed how we think about supporting employees and maybe employee expectations from, you know, mental health support um, to, you know, flexibility around hybrid or other constructs. And, you know, th there's, there's an opportunity for that pendulum perhaps to go a bit too far. And I think, you know, before the whatever level of downturn we're in right now, when the market was on fire, you know, companies were throwing everything at employees or blowing up comp bands to, you know, be able to bring people in. They were throwing off internal equity just to be able to bring uh, in external talent. Uh, the demands of that external talent were, you know, ast astronomical in some cases. And, you know, you were on a, a panel, we had a ch chance to catch up live earlier this year, and you were on a panel where, uh, you know, it, it, it touched on that topic of like employee expectations and perks and flexibility. And you had a contrarian view on the panel, which I actually appreciated, which is, you know, HR is here to serve the business. HR is here to increase the bottom line of the business, to increase the uh, profitability of the business. And we have to think about our roles as a business function before a function that is just necessarily, you know, creating all of these different, you know, perks and, and, and things that can help you attract and maybe retain talent. And I'd love to go deeper with you on that. Like when you think about the role of, uh, of HR and your role specifically as an HR leader, as a business leader, helping the drive the success of the business through people, what, what does that mean to you? When I went to Sapient in 1996, I guess, um, it was still HR, right? And, and, I thought if I'm going to come in here and try to build this thing from scratch, like I, we got to think about it differently. And we ended up calling it people strategy. Now I know that's like a very like commonly used thing, but in 96, no one had heard of it. It made no sense. For me, it made a ton of sense because I, I viewed my job as to figure out, all right, what is the business strategy of the company? And then how do we work backwards? Because we need to employ the right people strategy to execute that business strategy. That is not rocket science, but I was like floored that a lot of people didn't think about it that way. And the term stuck for me. So for me, it, it's really, I think of myself as a business person first. I just happen to major in people. And I try to do the intersection of always every decision that we, that we make is what's in the best interest of the business, what's in the best interest of the customer, what's in the best interest of our people, and try to do that Venn diagram and land in the center. And I think one of the things that I saw during the pandemic, if we keep going back to that, it was that companies, again, there was no roadmap. We were all making it up. But a lot of companies started asking their people first, do you want to come back to work? Do you want to work permanently remotely? I think that was really dangerous because it's like me asking my teenagers, like, what do you want? Well, okay, they're going to tell me what they want. It might not be like the in their best interest long term. But if I say no to that, if I've asked them and then I have to say no, then then it's just a lot of friction, right? Whereas I think the approach that we took here on hybrid was this is where we currently stand. This is why we think some amount of in-person time is really important to the business and to our customers and for your careers. 
Um, we'll take some feedback on that. Let us know how to make it work best for you. But we came out strong with a point of view on why we thought it was important um, before we just, you know, opened the floodgates and said, you can do whatever you want to do. Because it can't, it, it, like, it is still ultimately a business. So our job is to figure out how are we going to best deliver the business and then make it as, as humane and motivating to our people as we possibly can. So it's constantly bringing those elements together, um, which is a lot of work, but I think it's, it's served us pretty well. You know, so I, I want to go back to your a comment you made earlier in the conversation around what's kept you at Rapid7 and, you know, you referenced your CEO and the relationship and partnership you have there. And I think within the C-suite, you know, the relationship, especially these days between the, the CPO, CHRO, again, whatever the title might be, and the CEO is probably the most, you know, important in the organization because you're navigating so many things that are impacting people, both internally and, and externally outside the organization. And so I'd love to get your perspective, you know, for, for viewers and listeners who are maybe in their first time head of people role, uh, or they aspire to be, or maybe their second time. And, you know, they're still, you know, they, they're, they're still learning about building that relationship with their CEO. What advice would you have for them? What, what are the keys to building a, a, a kind of really successful and trust-based relationship uh, with the CEO? I think it's different with every person, right? But I think, I think one of the reasons that Corey and I have had such an exceptional partnership is, you know, we're, we, we complement each other well, right? Um, we've always sat, we shared an office when we were actually in offices. Now we sit out in general population and we sit, you know, very uncovid friendly, three inches away from each other. And we have for 12 years. And, and I think there's no secrets. There's no, there's no whatever, but I think we realize like there is some massive trust there. And I don't think that he has ever thought that I would raise anything or raise a difficult flag without anything but the best intentions for the company, right? I'm not in this for me. I think there's an element of like, I'm not trying to go anywhere. I'm not trying to take his job. I think sometimes there's there can be folks on leadership teams that like have agendas. I, we're really lucky. We have an awesome leadership team. But I think he views me as somebody who just, I'm literally in it for the benefit of the company. I want, it's not about me. It's about us. And, and what are we creating? And we believe that of each other. And we challenge each other. And and I'm not afraid of saying he's he's probably one of the smartest human beings I have ever met in my life. And certainly, you know, that could be intimidating, but there are he's not perfect. And there are elements where like 95% of what he's saying is terrific, but I'm very comfortable saying, but this piece doesn't make sense. And we have to rethink that. And that trust with each other, like we just, we have each other's backs on what's in the best interest of the business. That is a really hard thing to manufacture. Um, but I think one of the success features or people that I've seen be, be really fantastic in this role um, are those who are willing to run into the fire. We typically have to raise things to the CEO or to the leadership team that other people wouldn't be comfortable raising. Um, because it's difficult or because it's uncomfortable or whatever. And I don't think we get that latitude. I think our job is to like really what's going to be in the best interest of the company. And if you can be that person, I think you become invaluable. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned, that that trust piece is so important because, again, you you are oftentimes, um, you know, bearer of news that perhaps, um, you know, the CEO doesn't want to hear. 
and and you you have to kind of be able to leverage that trust to be able to to be the truth teller, uh, you know, especially to the CEO and your C-suite peers. Um, one more question I want to get your perspective on before we jump into the lightning round. Um, you know, we've talked about the pandemic, and I think when you look at everything that we've been experiencing over the last uh, two plus years from the pandemic to, you know, the murder of George Floyd and the conversations that created around social justice and equity um, to the January 6th insurrection and the political climate um, to Russia's war on Ukraine, you know, there's just, there's so many um external things that are taking place around the world that are obviously impacting our employees and and you know they're they're you know that's part of the the experience that they're bringing to work and there's you know there's a question and there isn't really a right answer here around like what role is it for HR to be communicating in some of these times of crisis and i would just love to get your perspective like do you have any kind of uh, you know, litmus test or like uh, approach of like, hey, this is something that we're going to talk about. This is something we're not going to talk about. Like, how do you think about navigating those? It's a really slippery slope, right? I mean, I think if I go back to the George Floyd stuff, um, you know, Corey happens to be a black man. Um, and uh, we tend to be fairly left leaning as an organization overall. Um, and we wanted to say something, but we wanted to be really thoughtful about it and not make it super political. And we ended up, you know, kind of leaning into the Black Lives Matter piece. And we had already been really focused on DEI. So it like it it all tied together. But it was amazing to me that we had folks that were like, I come from a police family and it and, you know, this makes me really uncomfortable. And we're like, we're not saying anything about the police. We're just saying we stand with this group of people. So we have to be really thoughtful and measured about what we say and how we say it. If we move forward to more recent times um, when the Roe Wade stuff was just happening, um, you know, we took a pretty big stance on um, not making a comment politically, which personally I would love to do, but it, it's not appropriate in the office, but instead just said, look, like, this becomes about the health and wellness of our people. And this is what we're providing people. Like everyone gets the same quality of care. If you can't achieve that in the state that you're living in because of things have tweaked, we will provide monetary support for you to be able to get the care that you need. Um, and, uh, and then we went so far as to say, we'll provide relocation support if you don't feel safe in the state that you're living in based on these things. And, um, that was a very easy thing for us to say. We just made it about health and wellness as opposed to taking a political stance. You could probably read it and understood where we stood, but, but we find that if we focus on sort of the bigger picture issue, um, that we, we're staying true to who we are, but it's a very, very difficult road to navigate. And I, the right leading up to when we made a statement about it, I had people slacking me. Like, we live in a really interesting world now where, like, people I've never met before will slack me and say, just a heads up, depending on where Rapid 7 comes out on this, I may or may not stay in my job and may quit. Not telling me where they stood, but just, like, threatening their job. And I'm like, what do you say to that? Like, duly noted. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and at the end of the day, we're going to do what we think is the right thing for our people and for our company. Um, but I, I find it fascinating that people are turning... Um, so many of the things that are happening in the world into a statement of where they stand in their company and, and things like that. 
honestly, if the economy changes and jobs become harder to come by and will be really interesting to watch people make a shift where these younger folks, for example, are in their first or second job and they have been holding all the cards for the last couple of years. Like to see young tech people who have six months of experience commanding 250, 300 grand, you know, saying, hey, this is how I'm going to work like or don't, you know, and they and and companies have had to deal with that. I don't think that's going to last forever. I think the tide has got to turn at some point and we'll kind of meet back in the middle at, at some place, I hope. Yeah. Well, Christina, I really appreciate your time and kind of walking us all through your background and, and some of the work you're doing at Rapid7. Uh, we close every episode with a lightning round to help the uh, audience get to know you a little bit better. And we always start with music. So I'm checking out your okay. Spotify playlist or wherever you stream music. Uh, who will I learn your top three artists? Oh, my top three artists. Probably always the Rolling Stones um, are sort of on the background. And I have this one like songs that motivate me no matter where I'm at. It's not a particular artist, but I have my top 50 songs. And I, if I am ever like in need of some energy boost, I will throw on that playlist. And it's got the biggest smattering of everything from like classic rock to a little bit of rap to like old school stuff, maybe a little Elvis, like just random stuff. But I like random. I yeah. like I like diversity. I like, you know, I, if I just listen to the Stones all day, every day, I'd hate them. Um, so that's, I, I, I like a lot of diversity in my life. You've got to have that pump up list. That's an important playlist to yeah, be able to. Uh, nope. And I probably <laughs> listen to that multiple times a week. Uh, we're going to switch to TV. Uh, what was your latest uh, streaming binge? Oh, latest. Um, I rewatched Breaking Bad. Ah, all, all the, the whole series? The whole yeah. series. The whole series. I will admit, I've definitely watched way too much TV or streamed way too much during the pandemic. Um, and I went back to things that I saw in the beginning and then went back. So like rewatched Breaking Bad, rewatched The Sopranos. And so like good shows, you get more. I found that I got more out of them the second time around. Um and, and took deeper meaning in that, yeah. which is crazy. Well, but, you kind of understand yeah. the plot line, right? As you're, as, then you can get yeah, more of the yeah. nuance that you, you probably missed the first time around. Exactly. Um, okay, we're going to change careers. I know you've worked in HR your whole career. Dad gave you great advice. Uh, now we're going to do something different. Uh, if you weren't in HR, what would you be doing? Um, writing a book. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing it, but I like haven't finished it because I don't have tons of extra time. And when I'm disciplined, I make tons of progress. But if I was to leave my job today, I'd go sit in a cafe in Florence and finish that book. All right. I can't see myself ever going back and like, I think this is my last at bat as a chief people officer. And I'll probably go back to consulting post this, this gig. After you finish that book in Florence, because that sounds like a, not, not a After bad way to spend some time. Um, and yeah. last question for you, uh, who is one HR leader who you admire and why? Patty McCord. Um, I think she's just, you know, she's, she's not super politically correct, really insightful, and I think very authentic. So that resonates. Yeah. Well, Christina, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, really enjoy the conversation and I can't wait to read that book uh, after you get that time in Florence. Awesome. Thank you, Lars. I appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. 
And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.